Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Merry Christmas, friends, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for tuning in as we talk about messianic prophecies today on this edition of Stand Up For The Truth. And I hope you're taking it just uh, easy, not getting too busy, flustered, distracted by the busyness and the obligations and requirements of this season. And then we have to back up sometimes, take a few steps back and go, okay, God, if This is all about you. (laughs) This is all about Jesus this season. Remember the reason we celebrate the season. So let's open up in prayer today. Father in heaven, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, first of all, and for giving us everything we need here on this earth, in this life, one day at a time. We thank you for the mystery that we are trying to understand in our human minds, in our limited understanding of the incarnation, the word that became flesh, Jesus, who was prophesied and born into our world and at the perfect time. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the many, many, many prophecies that were sent out into the earth by men that you appointed, Lord, to proclaim what would happen in the future. And it did happen exactly as you said it would. And we thank you for the Old Testament. We thank you for the scriptures and the perfection and the holiness. And give us reverence for your word and help us to understand it better today. Guide our conversation today by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We want to glorify you and honor you in everything we do and encourage the hearts of our listeners, those who are tuning in right now. Even before you encourage their hearts, Lord, prepare every heart to receive the Lord Jesus and his truth. As the song says, may every heart prepare him room. We love you, Lord, and commit this time to you and thank you for this Christmas. In Jesus' name, Amen. We were, because we mentioned it yesterday, going to uh, talk a little bit about the, the, the war on Christmas to start things out, but we're not going to do that. Um, there's just a ridiculous movie on Netflix demeaning the, the true um, God, the true meaning of Christmas. Um, here's at a time when millions of Christians are celebrating the birth of Jesus. Netflix releases a, a comedy special that portrayed Jesus as a homosexual man. Um, Two million people signed the petition, probably more than that by now, to remove it from Netflix, but we're not going to go into detail. That's just not worth our time this morning because we want to focus on what Scripture teaches. Because the Bible tells us long ago before the world began, God orchestrated a masterful plan to reconcile sinners to a holy, loving, living God. Through history, he provided a roadmap as he foretold various signs and specific conditions and details by which the Messiah would arrive 
to save mankind. His prophets spoke of things to watch for so the Messiah would be recognized and believed. Before the world began, he knew that Jesus would come to earth one day and give himself as a holy and final sacrifice, an offering for sin once for all. A baby born of a virgin in a manger would become the spotless lamb of God. We hear, uh, well, I understand, uh, Crash tells me that uh, we had a record number of people listening yesterday. I hope you're still listening today because we ruffled some feathers talking about Christmas and Santa Claus. But today we're talking about the importance of Bible prophecy um, to those who trust him and obey the commandments of God and receive Jesus and, and confess him and believe. God has promised a fulfillment to our hope in Christ. He is returning soon. And we will be in his presence for eternity. Um, according to scholars, now why am I going to talk about this right now, the importance of Bible prophecy? Because if we understand how amazing this is, this book that we have in our hands, the Bible, how it was written over a span of 1,500 years on three different continents by 40 different authors, 66 different books in different languages, and the story from Genesis to Revelation is history, history, his story about Jesus. And it's all about redemption. There are about 1,845 references to the return of Jesus Christ in the pages of the Bible. Jesus' return is highlighted in 17 Old Testament books. And within the New Testament, there are 321 mentions of the second coming. And when Christ returns, all the promises of the Old Testament to Israel will be fulfilled, as well as the New Testament promises to believers, and he will reign as king over the whole earth for 1,000 years. Remember Jesus said in Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Think about that. Think about what people around him, when they heard him say that, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, like it says in Psalms, the word endures forever. Jesus made this statement over 2,000 years ago, and with all the bold declarations that I am, Jesus said, and I and the Father are one, with all the evidence, archaeological evidence, all the fulfilled prophecies, the eyewitnesses, the scriptures about the person and deity of Jesus Christ, many still refuse to believe. So it is an act of the will, and we pray that if you're listening right now, we pray that you have an open heart, an open mind to the truth, to what we're going to share today from God's Word. One reason for people still refusing to believe is the birth of Christ, which was what we celebrate at Christmas. Nothing, it crashes, nothing too intimidating about a baby in a manger, is it? Yeah. You know? Well, Herod, Herod wasn't scared. Yeah. <laughs> Herod wanted to kill him. Right. <laughs> but nothing too intimidating to us as we're trying to fill uh, our, our Christmas trees up, you know, to the bottom branches with presents stacked up for all. Um, but one reason that people still refuse to believe that his birth and his earthly life had a predetermined purpose, which was suffering and death and then his resurrection, right? That happened. That was prophesied. And we'll get to that in a minute. Many times Jesus predicted it. The prophets predicted it. 
but his return. No one wants to talk about the adult Jesus, the 33-year-old Jesus. No one wants to talk about that. Why? The why about his sacrifice on the cross. His return will have a very different purpose, the final judgment of all mankind. So as we get into some messianic prophecy today, that we just want to ask the question, <laughs> man could not have done this. What are the odds? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Who could ever manufactured such an intricate plan combining thousands of years of historical events, prophecies in perfect, precise, and specific detail? So many scriptures come to mind. Psalm 119, 160 says, And every, um, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalm 119, 160. So we're going to talk about events fulfilled by Christ surrounding his birth. Of course, Emmanuel, we know that means God with us. Uh, Fulfilled prophecies that no other person, man, woman, child, has ever fulfilled. Not a one. And why, I don't know why skeptics just don't want to look at Jesus. How he, These prophecies were hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth, before the events actually happened. And many of them, Isaiah, for example, 700 B.C., I believe, um, Jesus himself fulfilled more than 300 prophecies. What are the odds? Well, before we talk about some specific uh, prophecies and what are some of the credentials of the Messiah, we're going to get to that. There's a man named uh, Peter Stoner. He was a professor. He wrote a book called Science Speaks, uh, Scientific Proof of the Accuracy and Prophecy and the Bible. Um, He calculated the probability of one man, stay with me now, one man fulfilling just a handful of messianic prophecies. So let's just say, you know, how hundreds were fulfilled by Christ. His research revealed the mathematical probability of one person fulfilling just eight right. prophecies was a mind-boggling, you ready, mathematicians out there? One chance in 1,017. For those of you keeping score at home, that's one in a, a 10 to the 17th power. The number one followed by 17 zeros. One chance in 10 to the 17th. That's just I mean, impossible comes to mind. So before we look at some messianic prophecies, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. And I'm sharing this before we get into some of these because a lot of people say, uh, well, you know, the Bible is written by man, <laughs> right? <clears throat> oh, men wrote the Bible, imperfect men. How could they know? So you're putting God in a box. You're saying, God, if there is a God, he could not have possibly directed a human being <laughs> who he created, right? He could not have possibly directed a man to write down what he wanted written down. Are you kidding me? The creator of the ends of the earth, the creator of all mankind, uh, Jeremiah 32:17 says, "Oh Lord God, you created the ends of you created the earth, the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm." Nothing is impossible for you. And yet we go, yeah, but men wrote the Bible. <laughs> so 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this. 
Peter now, who lived with Christ, who was an eyewitness, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an, an utterance, such an utterance as this, was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, the referring, he's referring to the transfiguration there, mm-hmm. the mount of transfiguration. And by the way, I'm reading a couple of verses before, uh, starting at verse 16. So it's 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Verse 19 says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Arises in your hearts. Verse 20, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Did you get that? If, if you forgot the, those earlier scriptures, just remember 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Know this, first of all, Peter says, no man made up the scriptures. No man made up a prophecy. It's not a matter of the prophet's own will or interpretation, it says. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Crash, uh, it also says, um, all scripture is inspired by God and good for teaching, rebuking, breathed. correction, training, and righteousness. God breathed. Mm-hmm. That's the Holy Spirit inspired. Um, I think we need to clarify that's not just some light little word that says, oh, it's, it's just kind of peppered by God, influenced a little bit, you know, maybe by God. It was mostly man speaking or writing, but God, no, this is saying that it is all God. God breathed. It's the Holy Spirit moved men who wrote or who prophesied. So let's go to the first prophecy that um, you guys might go, what? And we're going to Genesis. In the very first messianic prophecy in Scripture, a Redeemer is promised. And then the, the Jews knew about this. The Jews knew about this prophecy. And for centuries, they're trying to figure out, okay, what is this talking about? What Then they... They started looking. The search began for the one who would crush the head of the deceiver. The first prophecy, Genesis 3, verse 15. And it says this. Now, who? first of all, who is this talking to? It's God saying this to Satan. The woman just said, Eve just said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. And then in verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Stop right there. Crash. Enmity between you and the woman. So this word, this prophetic word is spoken 
by God to Satan. We have to always understand context. Who's speaking? Who are they speaking to? What are the circumstances around this? Between you and the woman, Eve, and between your seed and her seed. Hmm, her seed? Well, a woman, a woman doesn't have seed, meaning, you know, to get pregnant. A woman doesn't have sperm. Her seed, what is that talking about? Her descendant, mm-hmm. descendants. Between your seed, Satan has descendants, apparently, because it says between your seed and her seed. The, the Bible doesn't say that every human being is a child of God. That might strike you as being, I don't know, maybe offensive, because we like to think of the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? But we are not all children of God. We are not all adopted into the family of believers. That is by an act of the will. That is by our choice. We choose to believe, and we are saved by we confess with our heart, or we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you'll be saved, Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10. So not everybody is a child of God. So between Genesis 3.15, between your seed, Satan, and her seed, Eve. So the descendants coming down through the centuries. So that's the first, first prophetic verse about the Messiah because it says next, he shall bruise you on the head. Another translation says, I'm reading the New American Standard, another translation says, he will crush your head and you will wound his heel. So understand, the context of this is, what's a bruise on the heel, right? Well, Jesus was tortured and crucified, and he died physically. Crash, that sounds like more than a bruise on the heel, doesn't it? Well, the uh, Hebrew word is, uh, I believe it's soup. For what? Uh, For bruise, and it means to crush, gape upon, strike out. So that's so, what so gape would be a wide open cut. Okay, so that's what Satan will do to him who's him. Well, this is a messianic prophecy. Jesus, him, the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman. What will he do? The verse right before that, he shall bruise you on the head or crush you. So this is a a mortal wound. This is not a flesh wound. This is a mortal wound. Jesus, a head wound in battle means you're either dead right away or you're going <laughs> to soon he'll be laying on the battlefield. It's the head wound, the more, it will be a mortal wound. So the prophetic verse here in, in Genesis 3.15 is between your seed, Satan, and her seed, Eve, he shall bruise you on the head. So that's what what Christ, Jesus, is going to do to Satan. So we just wanted to, isn't that amazing that it starts that early, that immediately, right there in the garden, the Lord spoke? Um, next, oh, wait a minute, one more thing. Um, 1 John 3, 8, I believe it says, one of the many reasons that Jesus came, he obviously came to give his life as a ransom for many, right? And he came to redeem mankind. To reconcile us, but but First John three eight, I believe, um, it says he came to destroy the works of the devil. What is the work of the devil? Death, sin, 
the, the Satan comes, the, the, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy destruction. So that's what Jesus came to annihilate, to wipe out the works of the enemy. So we just read that he will crush or bruise Satan. It will be a mortal wound, a, a death blow. And that's, of course, not just the resurrection. That's when he returns to conquer. Hebrews 2.14, and then we have to take a break. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. What? Wait a minute. Through death he might destroy the death? Well, how does that make any sense? Well, Jesus overcame death in the grave. He lives forever because he lives we live also. So that's how he destroyed the, the work. There's no sting. Death, where is your sting? The end of 1 Corinthians 15. Through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. We're talking about messianic prophecies and Christmas, and we're going to talk about the baby in the manger. What are some of the credentials of the Messiah when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth? Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Today, Messianic Prophecies and the Master Plan of God. We just got done talking about Genesis 3.15, and we mentioned uh, 1 Peter um, chapter uh, 1, verse 20 and 21 particularly. 2 Peter, I'm sorry. And now um, we're going to go to some of the credentials of the Messiah um, the Hebrew Bible and Jewish, Jewish sages describe the Messiah in more detail than many people realize. And from these writings, we can know his genealogical background, his place of birth, the time frame of his arrival, and other identifying characteristics. So these credentials enable us to identify the Messiah. And we have to also, the other side of this, it helps us recognize imposters. So let's just talk about a few of these. Um, Genesis 49.10, the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah. Um, the Bible refers to Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. So that is a messianic uh, prophecy, one of the credentials of the Messiah. How about a descendant of King David? 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. Um, Crash, a descendant of the king, uh, the, the Davidic covenant, the line of David. Going back to that Genesis uh, verse, the seed, the seed of Eve, right? The seed of, of the woman. It would go through the line of David, and that's where the Messiah would come from. I like how uh, Hebrews pretty much covers all of that good stuff. Love if, if you Hebrews. don't understand, if you yeah. don't understand, yeah. you know, the, the uh, Melchizedek uh, covenant and all that, I mean, Hebrews does an awesome job. If, of course, you got the uh, lineage uh, in Luke. Matthew and Luke. Right. Right uh, about different the genealogies. from Joseph and from Mary. Which is fascinating. So we have it both. We, both are covered. The right. genealogies, the genealogies. You know, everybody's into Ancestry.com and all that stuff and, and looking up family trees and all that. Well, we've got the genealogy from of Jesus in Luke and in Matthew. We've got one from the the descendants of uh, Jacob um, or Joseph, I mean, and then another from the descendants of Mary, and it goes all the way back to 
what we were just talking about in Genesis 3.15. But the Davidic covenant, I, I want you to, there's a, a verse at the end of Revelation that says, verse 16, 22.16, says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. Listen to this, you guys. 22.16, Revelation. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Crash, I just remembered this because it was part of a sermon I did like last year or something, but I remember this verse, Gen, um, Revelation 22, 16. Listen to this. What is root? I am the root. That's the source. Think about a, the, a tree that's by the waters, as it says in Psalm 1, rooted deeply in the healthy soil because it's by spring waters, right? I am the root, Jesus said. But then he says, and the descendant. Wait a minute. <laughs> Heads are spinning. How can you be <laughs> how can you be a, the source and the descendant? In other words, how can you be the tree and the fruit? You know what I mean? The right. root, the root and the fruit. How can you be the root? Well, even the uh, even the uh, I think it was the apostles that asked him, isn't the Messiah supposed to be a descendant of David? Yes. Remember, Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting, I am the root, meaning source, and the descendant of David. So he's the, so the root of David, Jesus is. He created mankind. He created King David, right? So he's the root of David and the descendant of David. So let's go on. So the Messiah would be a descendant of David. Um, another credential is the Messiah would be a descendant of King Solomon. This is one we don't often look at, but First Chronicles 22, 9 and 10, and 28, verse 5. We don't have time to do all these, to actually read all of them, because there's more to get to. Believe me, we won't get to everything we had planned, but we'll get through whatever God wants us to this morning here. A Holy Spirit leading and willing um, of course, the one we're all very, very familiar with, the Messiah was to be born at Bethlehem. We just shared this, I think this was the Q verse of the day, this daily scripture we share on the air a couple days ago. Um, some I have it somewhere here. We just shared this, Micah, Micah chapter 5. Micah three, verse, isn't it 3.1? I think um, it's Micah 3.1. Oh yeah, we shared Micah 3.1, but uh, I'm looking for. I'm looking at this one actually. This is a different one. Sorry, I got confused. Micah 5. Verse 2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. So that's interesting. Micah 5 verse 2 is the essence of, O little town of Bethlehem. You know that, that song, don't you, Crash? Sure. <laughs> but Micah 5 verse 2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. And then it says, Talking to Bethlehem, this prophecy in Micah, from you, one will go forth for me. So, from Bethlehem, capital capital O, one will go forth. The Messiah will go forth for me. Who's speaking? God is speaking through the prophet Micah here. To be ruler in Israel. 
His goings forth are from long ago. Wait a minute. One is going to be a ruler in Israel and his goings forth are from long ago? From days, from the days of eternity? Remember what we just shared in Revelation 22, 16? Jesus said, I am the root and the descendant of David. The root and the fruit, the source and the Messiah, the bright morning star. So Micah 5, 2 again. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Do you have a different translation there, Crash? No, I was just looking up that word. I never <clears throat> did uh, Epertha. Uh, Ephratha. Ephratha. Yeah, I uh, was trying to figure out what that was uh, <laughs> uh, because I— That's uh, a vicinity, isn't it? I uh, let me let me get my uh, my handy little. It is a uh, it says a place near Bethel where Rachel died and mm-hmm. was buried, mm-hmm. and it was just another name for Bethlehem and the wife of Caleb. I just one of those words where like that's where I camped out. Of. Okay, so that's all I can add to it. I'm looking at the NASB. It's the same. Okay, as you're reading. So now verse three, we're in Micah chapter five. Therefore, he Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he, who's he, the Messiah, will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. Wow. So this is a future, futuristic a prophecy. All prophecies are future. But this is on the re- when the re- Christ returns. So his second coming. So Micah 5, 2 through 4. We'll put that in the podcast post today. Now we're going to the next one. The, we're just reading just a handful of the credentials of the Messiah. Messiah would arrive before the destruction of the second temple. Wow, look at Daniel. Not, you don't have to look at it now, but pull it up. You'll make a little note. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Let's look. I actually have something written about that here. Let's look at this. Because I've, I've, one of the verses I shared yesterday was Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the time had fully come... Another translation says, the fullness of time, God sent his son. In the fullness of time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So there were so many things occurring at at that time in the the first century. When the time had fully come, what does that mean? Um, The perfect political, um, spiritual, um, all the conditions were right for the Messiah to enter the scene. So let's just go through a couple of these as we're talking about this Daniel prophecy, which we'll, we'll touch on uh, in a minute. Uh, first, there was great anticipation among the Jews of that time that the Messiah would come. It's not that they were not caught off guard. That's one thing that Pastor Randy White shared with us um, last week. We're talking about the the people knew exactly of the prophetic, uh, the voices of the prophets. 
that what they said about the Messiah to come, they knew they were anticipating a Messiah. The problem is they weren't anticipating the same kind of. They had their own in their minds. They had certain thoughts or expectations or assumptions, we might say. So the Roman rule over Israel made the Jews hungry for the Messiah's coming. They were still, to some degree, they were oppressed and controlled by Rome. Um, Rome had unified much of the world under its government, giving a, a sense of unity to the various lands, and also because the empire was relatively peaceful, travel was possible, allowing the early Christians to spread the gospel. So that was a good thing. That worked out <laughs> in our favor. And um, number three, while Rome had conquered militarily, Greece had conquered culturally. A common form of the, of the Greek language was the trade language and was spoken throughout the empire, making it possible to communicate the gospel to many different people groups. Now, we're talking about the perfect conditions. What does that mean? Galatians 4, 4, the fullness of time. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. Why are we talking about this? Because we just mentioned this prophecy in Daniel that the Messiah would arrive before the destruction of the second temple. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. So the fact that um, there are many false idols, they failed to give them victory over the Roman conquerors, philosophy didn't do it. A lot of them started abandoning the idols. At the same time, in the more cultured cities, the Greek philosophy and science of the time left others spiritually empty in the same way that atheism of communist governments leaves us spiritually empty, you know, human beings today in so many countries. Um, number five, talking about the fullness of time, the mystery religions of the time emphasized a savior God and required worshipers to offer bloody sacrifices, thus making the gospel of Christ which involved the ultimate, one ultimate sacrifice, it made that believable to them. And the final point here about the fullness of time, the Roman army recruited soldiers from among the provinces and introduced these men to Roman culture and to those ideas. And the earliest introduction to the gospel, by the way, to Britain was the result of the efforts of Christian soldiers that were stationed there. So we jumped a, a little bit ahead there. So from the context of Galatians 3 and 4, it is evident that God sought to lay a foundation through the Jewish law that would prepare for the coming of the Messiah. The law was meant to help people understand the depth of their sinfulness so that they might more readily accept the cure for that sin through Jesus Christ the Messiah. See Galatians 3, 22, 23, um, the law was also put in charge, so to speak, to lead the people to Jesus. See Galatians 3.24, and of course, how many prophecies were fulfilled. So also, Old Testament history also painted pictures of the person and work of Christ. We're talking about the credentials of the Messiah today. And the Old Testament painted pictures of this through uh, events and religious feasts, such as what about the offering of Abraham, his son, Isaac? What about the details of the Passover mm -hmm. during the exodus from Egypt? That was a foreshadowing of the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God that would save. Finally now, this is what we're getting to. Christ came when he did, at the exact time, in fulfillment of specific prophecy, 
Daniel 9, 24 through 27 speaks of the 70 weeks or 77s. When Jesus Christ, the anointed one, allowed himself to be openly worshipped for the first time crash, that was what we consider Palm Sunday, five days before he was given, sacrificed, crucified, five days before he allowed them to shout out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were shouting out, these are the, the Messiah, These are they're worshiping him. And remember when the uh, religious leaders said, the crowd was shouting, hey, silence your, your followers. He said, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. Up until that point, whenever he did a miracle, whenever he healed somebody, he said, don't tell anyone who I am. He did not allow public worship. He didn't allow himself to be worshipped until this day. What we now know, looking back from prophecy, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, predicts the exact day that Jesus would ride in through the eastern gate into the city, into Jerusalem. We know that now. That is the exact day we know when the anointed one. And the prophecy, um, Nehemiah 2, 5, says the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. What? Wait a minute. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, and then it says the end will come like a flood, meaning major destruction. Here we have an unmistakable reference to the Savior's death on the cross, but also the very day that Jesus' triumphal entry into the Jerusalem was five days before his death. The point is, the timing, again, the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, the fullness of time, of Christ's incarnation ties in with this detailed prophecy recorded in Daniel 500 plus years beforehand. Okay? When he came into town, riding on a donkey, there's another prophecy, by the way, I uh, believe, believe it's Zechariah 9.9. So Jesus was prophesied to come in, the Messiah, into Jerusalem at that time. Also, the destruction of Jerusalem. What we just shared was one of the credentials of the Messiah that he would arrive before the destruction of the second temple. When did that happen? In A.D. 70 or 70 A.D. Mm-hmm. So we need to take another break. A lot of prophecies to get to. The timing of Christ's incarnation was such that people at that time were actually prepared for his coming, and the people of every century since have been more than they have, more sufficient evidence that Jesus was indeed the prophesied and the promised Messiah through all the fulfillment of scriptures. The problem is people had in their own mind a certain political power that Jesus would not fulfill. That's what they wanted. They wanted him to take charge right then and there when he came. More on the messianic prophecies and uh, just the masterful plan of God when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. All right, we are going through some of the credentials of the Messiah, meaning, uh, well, this is Christmas Eve. We know what uh, the songs say about the little town of Bethlehem. And away in the manger, and uh, what child is this, and all that. There's a lot of wonderful, uh, meaningful Christmas songs. You throw out all the junk, right? Throw out the ones, you know, Santa Claus, Jingle Bells, or Rudolph, and everything Frosty, else. Yeah. The Frosty. That's okay. That's entertainment. But it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. What we're doing is we're looking at specific prophecies 
that you can really be encouraged in your faith about Crash. Why don't we go back to, we're going through just a couple more bullet points, uh, some of the credentials of the promised Messiah. Reading from uh, what proof do you have that Jesus is the Messiah, Jews for Jesus? Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned Zechariah 9.9. The Messiah would present himself by riding on a donkey. And I I think about when when he was giving him directions to go get the colt, and they're going, what? A donkey. Yeah, they probably couldn't figure that out. And then they walk up to the man and say, we need your colt, and he didn't put up a fight or anything. Go ahead and take it. That was interesting, by the way. Yeah, it is. And uh, another uh, credential Messiah would be tortured to death, Psalm 22, 1 through 31. Yeah, read some of those. Now, understand when uh, I believe David wrote that Psalm 22, how long was that before Jesus, B.C.? I mean, these descriptions in Psalm 22 about that was even before the Romans invented crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Psalm 22. You read some of those things and you go, you're kidding me. They wrote, This was prophesied before they even came up with oh, that method, the brutal method of torture and death. And then before, of course, way before Jesus. So read Psalm 22 and that we, we often talk about it on Good Friday and around uh, Easter. But hey, we're talking about messianic prophecies. We're talking about why Jesus came. We understand he was born and, you know, in a manger. We understand the virgin birth, things like that, which is essential to believe these things. But uh, look at the death and the torture. And the next one is just another one, Crash. Yeah, and I was, uh, we're talking about this during the break. Isaiah 52, 13 and 53, verse 12. Messiah's life would match a particular description. The suffering, silence at his arrest and trial, if you ever wondered why why is he just sitting there and be, not saying anything, that was prophesied. Yeah, yeah. His death, burial, and a rich man's tomb, and the resurrection. And that would be Joseph of Arimathea, mm-hmm. who had he was a wealthy man, a convert, a member of the council. Yep, he was. And a convert. went and he was the one that took Jesus' body down from the cross. Um, by the way, I was just reading. I was doing the December plan, um, the Luke reading through Luke one chapter a day through December. Right. So today, Christmas Eve. Just finished uh, Luke 24, which just is a phenomenal chapter. But I remember reading that about uh, Joseph of Arimathea. He went to Pilate first to get permission to remove the body of Jesus off the cross. So we have we see the movies and we know what we've been told about them taking the the body was probably up there for you know quite a little bit of time for him to go into town, go before Pilate with the centurion, testified he was dead. Joseph said, can I have the body? Pilate said, go ahead. He went back to the cross, took Jesus' body down. But so read Isaiah 52 and 53, and Jews have a hard time with this because there's so many specific verses in there. Like like it was the Lord's pleasure to crush him, putting him to grief, to offer him as a guilt offering. And it's talked about he was despised and afflicted. Surely he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced through for our sins, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it goes on. Um, so Isaiah 52, 53, these are credentials of Messiah in regard to the lineage, birthplace, time, and lifestyle. Jesus matched the messianic expectations of the Hebrew scriptures. And what a lot of Jews had to convince themselves is Isaiah 52 or 53 specifically is about the nation of Israel, right? That's what they're telling themselves. 
But if you read that, it is about the suffering of the Messiah, uh, the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, it's all about the suffering servant who grew up before God, it, it says in that first part of Isaiah 53. Okay, let's go on. I just want to read what Jesus said. We read a lot of prophecies now about him. And let's read what he said in John chapter 5. He was talking to the most religious and educated people at that time. He said in verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Verse 46, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So he's saying this, don't tell me. Some people will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God or never claimed to be the Messiah. Are you kidding me? Just read through the Gospels. So he said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. And remember, he also said another place, and I believe in John maybe 6 or 8, before Abraham was born, I am. Mm -hmm. I am who I am. I existed to before the, uh, to the, uh, what was that sect? Sadducees. They were trying to get him to explain their uh, resurrection. Yep. So they, he said a lot of things that they go, he, they knew exactly what he was claiming. Remember in the temple, today this passage has it's, come true. It's, it's, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Why would they throw him out if they yeah, didn't yeah. understand it? Yeah. That's like, like what a nut. Isaiah, they tried Isaiah to, 60 or 61. They tried, yeah, 58, I think. They tried to mm. get him over. They tried to throw him off the cliff. Yeah, they tried to kill him. Yeah, but why? If they didn't know, they he, knew. he was claiming to be God, why did they kill him? <laughs> why were they always trying to plot and scheme and trap him? So now let's go to Luke, because I just read this this morning. After his resurrection now, here's what Jesus said in Luke 24, 44. Now he said to them, in fact, let me, I, I just want to pull up the, um, the context, Luke, Luke 24. Good, I have quick internet today. <laughs> Luke 24, <laughs> um, 44. This is just amazing. He said, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, when he was ministering to them, walking with them, living, doing miracles for three years, discipling them. He was living among them. He said, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then this is one of those, the most amazing verses, I think. I wish we had a little bit more insight into this. Verse 45 in Luke 24, he said, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's Luke 24, 44 through 47. And so 
Isaiah 7, 13 and 14, one we're very familiar with around Christmas time. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's Isaiah 7, 13, and 14. Couldn't get through everything we wanted to get through today, but there's enough here, and there's plenty more to be studied. And we have to understand these, the people at that time when Jesus was born, they were expecting a Messiah. A lot of them, the early believers were all Jews. Think about it. But some of them would not believe. Why? Because they had in their mind, they wanted a political savior. They wanted someone to come and conquer Rome at that time. They couldn't fathom that Jesus would be the savior who they were saying, Hosanna, when he was coming into town on Palm Sunday, and then he was crucified five days later. They couldn't grasp that. Because even when Peter went to the tomb after Mary, the the angels uh, appeared to the women, they went back, the tomb's empty, he's not there. And then we had a vision, these angels said, just as he said, he is risen. And then Peter and John run to the tomb, they saw the linen wrappings in there, but his body they did not see. One translation says Peter went away marveling. So he was going, wow, well, what's going on here? So Jesus spent three years pouring into these guys and telling them, this is what has to happen. I have to go up to Jerusalem. And I will be handed over. I will be arrested. And then it's just amazing to me that they still. Even when Peter said, you can't go there. And he said, get thee behind me. You do not know (laughs) what's going on here. Yep, get thee behind me, Satan, because Satan wanted to stop the plan of God. Right. The plan that was foreordained from the beginning of time. One more. I read uh, earlier today about the the guys on the road to Emmaus. I don't know. I I thought that's what you were talking about. It only mentions one guy, Cleopas. The other one, who knows? But there were two men. Walking, Jesus comes and appears to them. They, they were prevented from recognizing him. And he said, hey, guys, what are you talking about? You know, oh, about the things that are happening that just have happened in, in Jerusalem. and uh, that were, Haven't you heard? Yeah. He, <laughs> Jesus says, what things? <laughs> yeah, he, he wanted to see what they were going to say. What things? And they go, are you? They said, are you the only one <laughs> living in Jerusalem that has no idea about what is happening? They went to talk about Jesus. And then it says he shared with them from the scriptures all that Moses and the prophets wrote about the Messiah. And later when he disappeared from their sight, they looked at each other and said, when he was explaining the scriptures to us on that road, weren't our hearts burning within us? So the Messiah himself was explaining the scriptures, the prophecies of the Messiah to these two men on the road. So anyway, what an amazing history 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 the story we have of christ the messiah who it all started in bethlehem and that's what we're celebrating the baby that was born to die the word became flesh and full of grace and full of truth and that is our hope the truth of the scriptures that have been fulfilled and the promise of the return of the messiah merry christmas friends in Christ. When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. 
Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we've got a, a day off tomorrow. Merry Christmas. Enjoy the day with family, friends. Whatever you're doing, just remember Jesus. Focus on the reason for the season and not everything else going on around you. Um, Thursday, John Haller, hitch your faith to the reliability of the scriptures, and he'll be talking about the Old Testament and some archaeology. And then Friday, Landon Churchill, Pastor's Perspective. Well, God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter. Merry Christmas.